0: Namahum Vishnu Paraya Krishna Prestaya Bhutale Sri Mati Siresur Pananda Paramam Namaste Saraswati Devam Go Revani Pracharine Nirvi Shechasanya Vastitya Dishatarine Baja Krishna Chaitanda Prabhu Nityananda Sri Adoy Chaganada Sri Vrinda mm-hmm. He Krishna Kauru Na Sindhu Din Jagatpati Jagatpate Gopisha Gopika Kanta Radha Kantana Musate. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna. Krishna Krishna, Krishna. Hare Hari Ram Rama, Hare Rama. Rama Rama, Hari Hare. Hare Bo. any questions huh do you, do you, you don't have any so how, do you have energy? how do i have all my energy, energy? because i'm hooked up with krishna <laughs> he is the Source of all energy. So according to his wishes, I will have energy or this body will be finished and I'll be off somewhere else. That's his doing. I'm easy. I'm just along for the ride. Somebody else had a question? No. So... You're going to have to shout loud. When will this happen again? Um, How does someone know when they're making progress on this path? I can't hear that clearly. How does someone know when they're making progress on this path? How does someone know? What What are the signs? What are the signs? It's very simple. If one's attraction for the world is decreasing, and their attraction for Krishna is increasing, then you are heading in the right direction. But if one's attraction for the world is increasing, you are heading in the wrong direction. Not overly complex. Um. In the, a text known as the Chaitana, Charitamrita, it describes the path of both transcendental experience and the development of actual love for God in the process known as bhakti. And it describes, in the beginning, one is encouraged in devotion to the Lord by association of saintly devotees. This is called sadhu sangha. Sadhu means the saint, and Sangha means the holy association. Then one becomes free from unwanted contamination by following the regulative principles on the path of bhakti and by chanting and hearing these transcendental sounds, and the technical term for that is anatta nirvritti, where the unwanted attractions for material life are gradually removed. When one is free from unwanted contamination, one advances with Firm faith. This faith is not blind faith. This is a deep and abiding trust that one develops by practical experience. This is not a belief system. You can say, yeah, I accept it. I believe it. But that's all pretty irrelevant. What one needs to do is actually engage in the process and experience the fruit of their engagement. And that awakens in a person a deep trust and a very firm conviction, and enthusiasm to continue on this path. When this firm faith, which is called Nishta, when this awakens, then a taste, a transcendental taste for hearing and chanting also awakens. And the Sanskrit word for this is ruchi. And it means that when one begins to experience this spiritual sound, the reality of what's contained there, then one develops a spiritual greediness for this taste. There is a great enthusiasm, driven by this amazing experience. This taste, ruchi. After this taste is awakened, deep attachment arises. This is called a shakti. A shakti means that one becomes so attached to this spiritual process and experience, that the lifetimes of engagement, entanglement, and conditioning that one becomes covered by in the material world begins to slip away with great speed, and one finds themselves in a somewhat, not somewhat, in an unshakable condition, when I first engaged in this process, when I had gone to India, I, I was experiencing in my life this unpleasant experience. I, I had been a totally crazy hippie and a somewhat of a yogi where everything goes. And so that experience and lifetimes of an accumulation of material experience means we have very deep-seated attachments for material concepts. The idea that I can find a home in this world, that I can actually find fulfillment and real happiness here that I can find love here, all of these kind of things. This is really deep conditioning. But I had met my spiritual master, and I was just in awe of his amazing presence and his profound humility. And I had very firm acceptance that this was a genuine spiritual path and process. And I was drawn and attracted to. I mean, it was like, it was crazy land, all right? I I mentioned to someone this morning, for me, it was like a do or die thing. When I went to India, I went there on a one-way ticket with with $12. (laughs) I wasn't coming back. And I didn't know how I was going to survive or make it, but I was desperate to find some real answers and to know what is this purpose of my life, and to know Krishna, to actually come to know God. And so I I was, you know, very convinced I needed to do this. But I was speaking with a very close friend and mentor and I was telling him, I I feel like I'm in a battlefield in no man's land, you know, in between the two lines of troops and artillery. And you're out there in the middle and it's like you're getting it from both sides and you don't know where you go, what you're going to do, you know, because on one hand, we have a spontaneous attraction for material life and material misconception. We're really drawn to it. The idea of instant stimulation. You know, I don't have to mess around. I just reach out and grab what I want and indulge. And there's an immediate response. But then on the other side, I know that this is true that this is transcendental spiritual truth, and I know it's in my best interest. And while I accept that and I am drawn, I have this spontaneous attraction for material life that's not easily overcome. This experience that's just been described here is actually a very advanced spiritual condition where one is unmoved by the material world and things of this world, the experiences, the desires of the body and mind. They may even still be there, but they are of no consequence. One is very maturely fixed in this deep attachment for their spiritual experience and practices. One becomes deeply attached to Krishna and this spiritual sounds, his holy names. And from that attachment, the seed of love. Of love for Krishna grows in the heart, and this condition is called bhava. Bhava is the awakening of the initial experience of actual love for God. When that ecstatic and transcendentally emotional state intensify then that is called love of godhead or prema and such love is life's ultimate goal and it is the reservoir of all pleasure so um This morning I I mentioned about the uh, Ashlanga Yoga process and the, the eight limbs, meaning the eight types of practice that one engages in to make advancement along that path. In the path of bhakti, there are nine limbs. There are nine varieties of transcendental activity which a they are called a sadhaka, one endeavouring on this path can engage in to cultivate this mood of devotion. A great transcendentalist his name was Pralad Maharaj. He was only five years old, and was fully spiritually enlightened, and has been declared in the Vedas to be one of the twelve Mahajans, meaning the great personality who can be their their conduct and their life. Should be emulated by all. And he made a very famous statement many thousands of years ago about these nine processes. Sri Prahad Duvacha, Shravanam Kirtanam, Vishnu Smaranam, Padasevanam Achanam Vandanam. Dasyam sakya vedam. These were the nine activities that are undertaken in this process. And they are the process shravanam, the process of hearing, of both hearing the transcendental sounds that we chant, where one actually takes these spiritual sounds that have descended from the spiritual realm or the transcendental platform. One takes them in through the ear and allows them to enter the heart, where one then bathes in and experiences them. The other form of hearing, of shravanam, is to hear from spiritual authorities, or from transcendental literature the Vedas, when one receives instruction by oral reception, and incorporates that instruction within their life, this is really one of the main foundational practices of bhakti. And the second one kirtanam kirtanam actually means literally glorification but you know this people talk about kirtan it comes from this word kirtana it is the glorification of the lord and one does this by either chanting these transcendental sounds or speaking about the transcendental nature, pastimes, and qualities of the Supreme Person or his incarnations. And that also includes the great transcendentalists. <coughs> The next is smaranam, and this is the process of remembrance. It's not the same as meditation, but when one sits down to consciously remember transcendental instruction, the spiritual pastimes of the Lord, any of these things, that process of recollection of remembrance Bada Sevanam it means rendering humble service at the feet of the Lord Achanam this is the process of engaging in transcendental worship Vandanam Vandanam means prayer. And in this process, while people may engage in recitation of their own prayer, one is encouraged to read and to repeat the great prayers written by the transcendentalists because their prayerful pleas are utterly transcendental and pure. Whereas a person, like, just for example, in this world, you'll see in most religions, people engage in prayer, and that's fundamentally a good thing. However, mostly what people are asking for are what? Please cure my body, Please help me financially. Please help my kids. Please let me pass an exam. Please let the all blacks win in this test match. All kinds of weird crap. (laughs) People pray and ask for things that are actually not in their best interest and don't bring about spiritual realization, but actually reinforce material desire. And that is not an appropriate relationship with God. Well, I I take that back, and apologies, I shouldn't have said inappropriate. It is not the best relationship. Because in that relationship, one is making... You know, even if they accept an idea of a God, some higher personality, I'm asking him to do stuff for me. Please give me this, give me that, help me with this, help me with that. And in that equation, I am at the center and he is the order supplier. He is the one giving me the stuff. It's good that one recognizes, yes, there is somebody greater than myself, but don't go asking him to do this weird stuff that's not really in your interest one of the things within christianity that's actually quite amazing i mentioned this morning about you know when lord jesus christ was asked what is your what is the greatest commandment and law and he spoke about to love the lord thy god with your whole heart your whole mind, your whole soul, your whole being. Only a couple of the early Christian fathers or saints of the church have discussed an idea that's actually mind-blowing. And they say, and this is absolutely true, that the desire for salvation and love for God are incompatible. They cannot exist in the same space. And the distinction is that when a person seeks salvation, they may be asking, Oh God, save me. But in that prayer, I am the central thing and God is on the outside saving me, doing something for me. He is rendering service to me by saving me. Whereas in the doctrine of love, one seeks nothing and asks for nothing. They only seek to become pleasing how may i how can i please you how can i serve you and these are two completely different worlds and so it is very unfortunate that within modern christianity there is this massive focus on salvation and in doing that one cannot really contemplate consider and seek this first and foremost commandment. So, in the offering of prayer, one was advised in this path to look to the previous acharyas, the great saintly teachers, and actually study their prayers and recite their prayers, because they are the highest of transcendental aspiration. They are the most perfect, and in doing that we learn. Then the next limb was called Sakyam and this means to make the lord your best friend that's an amazing idea that this we everybody seeks friendship and a friend and in the path of bhakti one is encouraged to Cultivate a relationship with Krishna based upon intimate friendship. Then the next item is Atmani Vedam. This is such a deep, deep word and idea. It is about complete. An utter, complete surrender to the Lord, where one does not exercise any independent will, wish or desire, but is fully surrendered. If we actually begin to unpack these things, one would see quite quickly that this path of devotion is not for the faint-hearted and not for the sentimentalist. Much is asked of you. In fact, your whole life is asked of you. And in return, you will receive the greatest of treasures. The treasure of love for God is unlimitedly valuable. And the price to pay is the price of utter and complete surrender to the Lord. The process is a gradual process that one approaches step by step. The foundational practice is the practice of hearing and chanting these transcendental sounds. And so a reasonable amount of time every day is put aside for personal meditation on these spiritual sounds. Usually we use beads, we call this mala, in the process of Chanting with Mala is called Japa, the repetition of the mantras. There are three stages of experience in this meditation. The first is what's called the clearing stage, where by it's like if you go out and stand in the sunshine or you go immerse yourself in a river or the ocean. What one is doing in this meditation is to take their body, their mind, and their self, and immerse it in that which is transcendental, this spiritual sound. And it will have a gradual, for most people, a gradual transformative effect of purifying the heart and the mind. When one attentively engages in this meditation process, one will gradually have many unwanted things that sit within our heart and mind removed. One will become increasingly purified As one becomes purified, their actual experience of this spiritual sound, of this meditation, will will change and deepen. While chanting, one will actually experience the presence of God and that he is actually non-different from this spiritual sound. And there will be a gradual arising within the heart of an experience of great transcendental ecstasies just by chanting these names. And if one is able to continue chanting in this way, then gradually there will be an ecstatic awakening of actual love for God. I will read you a couple of verses which give you some idea why this process of chanting is so important. In the Vedas, in one of the Upanishads, there is a very famous verse that goes, Harir naam, harir naam, harir naam eva kevalam, Kalona nashtev and it's a rare thing in these Vedic mantras, these chants, to have this repetition. And when they repeat three times something, it means it's incredibly emphatic. It's like it, there's no negotiation here. And this mantra says that in this age of Kali, there is no other way, this is the meaning of kebalam, it means only, there is no other way, no other way, no other way to attain complete self and God realization other than by chanting the names of Hari. Chant the names of Hari. Chant the names of Hari. Hari is another name for the Lord. So in these verses it says that simply by chanting the holy name of Krishna, one can obtain freedom from material existence. Indeed, simply, By chanting the Hare Krishna Maha Mantra, one will be able to see the lotus feet of the Lord. And then from the Padma Purana, it states that these holy names of Krishna are transcendentally blissful. It bestows all spiritual benedictions, for it is Krishna Himself, the reservoir of all pleasure. Krishna's name is complete and it is the form of all transcendental loving relationships. It is not a material name under any condition. And it is no less powerful than Krishna himself. Since Krishna's name is not contaminated by material qualities, there is no question of it being involved with the illusory energy. Krishna's name is always liberated and spiritual. It is never conditioned by the laws of material nature. And this is because the name of Krishna and Krishna himself are identical. And you will not be able to actually fully comprehend and appreciate this. But these transcendental sounds contain within them not only the Supreme Lord, They contain within them the entire spiritual dimension. They contain all spiritual relationship. They contain everything. They are not just a name. Like in this world, a name is different from the object. These sounds have the characteristic of containing a complete spiritual world within them. And if one engages in this process of chanting, one will gradually gain entrance to that spiritual realm and the full awakening of love for God. And that's about all I'm going to say. Because somebody asked me to speak about bhakti the yoga of love. This is a deep and amazing spiritual science. It surpasses everything else. Generally, we just invite people. We we generally promote two things. One is, you are not the material body. You are an eternal spiritual being. And the other one is if you take up the chanting of these spiritual sounds, it is in your highest interest. You will actually come to experience happiness and fulfillment. We often just stop there, because when someone actually cultivates these two things, their life will actually become perfect. But it will become perfect in ways that you cannot even begin to comprehend. Each one of you have the opportunity within this lifetime, no matter where you are right now, what position you're in, what is your consciousness. You can be completely degraded, fallen, sinful, out of it, lost and lonely, all of the above. But this process is not dependent upon you and your qualification. It's not about your strength or purity or ability. What we are doing is opening our heart to this transcendental influence. And we simply and humbly await for the fog to be lifted, the veil to be lifted, for full spiritual enlightenment to gradually manifest for us to come to personally encounter and cultivate a deep transcendental relationship with the actual Lord of our heart. And that's it. Was that overload? No? It's all cool? Great at least it was for a few people don't about the others (laughs) the great Chaitanya Mahaprabhu he was in his time that he spent here he was known as the greatest scholar in India. His he, he became a massive and well-known teacher of logic, grammar, nyaya. At, at the age of 14, he was able to easily defeat and debate anyone, the topmost scholars. He was extraordinary. And then all of a sudden, his whole life changed. He began to manifest what his real purpose was. And he traveled throughout India speaking about this process, but himself also engaged constantly in this process of kirtan and more accurately sankirtan which means the congregational chanting or glorification and he wrote in his own, with his own hand eight prayers that are incredibly profound and the first one says He speaks a a glorification to this great transcendental process, this congregational chanting. He describes how it is the benedicting moon dispensing the cool moonlight of transcendental grace upon everyone that participates. And he described that it actually gives us a taste for that great and eternal happiness, that nectar for which we are always anxious. Everybody's always anxious to taste sweetness in their life, great transcendental pleasure and sweetness. And he said that it is through this process You know, when we're chanting tonight, just like I was mentioned earlier, when you are completely lost in chanting, even if it's for a moment, even if it's for five minutes, you are actually benefiting, from, effectively benefiting from what's described as samadhi, where you are just simply absorbed in that transcendental chanting and it touches you in your heart, and it alters your life. Okay, enough. Let us chant. So, probably the neighbors are really they were upset yesterday they're probably more upset today so we'll do something very sweet and gentle and I ask you to just just let let go and open your heart and take these spiritual sounds in, bathe in and take shelter in these sounds.
1: you hey.